Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is accidental awareness? Can it explain alien abduction experiences? And what do you do if you have such an experience? Hello and welcome to the 564th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Mark D'Antonio sitting in for Paul tonight. And those puzzlers came from my sometime co-host and Paul's partner in this venture, Ben Eno. This evening, we welcome a familiar guest with a new twist on a disturbing story. It's our good friend Kathleen Martin, and Kathy is known around the world for her work on UFO abduction slash ET uh, contact research, and uh, the, the also an experiencer advocate and author and lecturer, so a woman truly of many hats. Uh, she has uh, 24 years of experience in the field. Uh, for the past three years, she has served as MUFON's Director of Abduction Research. She is, she is also a member of the Foundation for Research of Extraterrestrial Encounters uh, Advisory Board and a consultant to its uh, research subcommittee. Kathy has earned a, a B.A. in social work from the University of uh, New Hampshire in 1971 and did graduate studies in education while working as a teacher and education uh, services coordinator. Her interest in UFOs dates uh, back to uh, September 20, 1961, when her aunt, Betty Hill, phoned her nearby home uh, to report that she and her husband, ben, uh, Benny, huh, Barney, had uh, encountered a flying saucer in New Hampshire's White Mountains. A primary witness to the UFO, the evidence of uh, the UFO encounter and the aftermath, uh, Kathy has uh, intimate knowledge of the Hills' uh, biographical histories, uh, personalities, and historical profiles about their uh, sensational story the first abduction case to be widely covered in the global media. And her main website is www.kathleen-martin.com. So uh, let me also uh, welcome the co-host this evening, that is uh, Mark D'Antonio, an astronomer who's uh, MUFON's National Director of Photo and Video Analysis. And uh, Mark is frequently a guest on the show and occasionally a co-host. And today is one of those days... Uh, that he is the occasional co-host. So this past year, Kathy, Mark, uh, my dad, and myself uh, have become partners in crime somewhat, uh, <laughs> appearing at uh, two of the uh, same UFO conferences and consulting on some cases. So Kathy Martin, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks. It's great to be back with you again. Well, it's great to have you here. So we were talking about accidental awareness, and I just uh, read the article on that. So can you explain what accidental awareness is and what is your response to that? Yes. Uh, accidental awareness is a condition when uh, individuals who are undergoing surgery on a table who uh, have been anesthetized uh, apparently have not had enough anesthesia or something causes them to awaken prematurely uh, during the surgical procedure. Um, the, uh, this was uh, discussed and the largest study was ever done, um, was done by the Royal College of Anesthetists. And this article that you referred to uh, was written about by a Dr. Anne Skomorowski, who is an assistant professor of psychiatry at <coughs> a University and a psychosomatic medicine specialist at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Uh, she wrote this based upon some speculation that was made by uh, David V. Forrest, uh, doctor of clin uh, clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia, and he had speculated that uh, these altered states of consciousness, uh, uniformly uh, colored figures with dark eyes, nakedness, um, in a high-tech room, uh, that uh, sometimes reported by abduction experiencers probably goes back to a time when they were under anesthesia on a table and woke up early. Uh, in my opinion, it's just an unfounded debunking effort. Uh, so many have been uh, brought out over uh, the past 20 or 30 years that simply don't hold up under scrutiny, and this is another one of them. So have they... Hey, Kathy, this... Oh, I'm sorry, Mark, oh, please. Oh, sorry, but... <laughs> This is Mark. Um, hi, Kathy. Welcome back. It's good to have you here. Um, Thanks. I had, a, I had a question about this because, you know, this implies that 
only people who have had operations or have been put under anesthesia are reporting being abducted. Is that true? <laughs> well, that's what it implies. Uh, obviously, the the author of the article that appeared in Scientific American uh, did not have a lot of knowledge about the alien abduction phenomenon. Clearly not. And, or uh, Betty and Barney Hill, because she wrote a speculative mm-hmm. argument about Betty and Barney Hill's experience and, uh, tr- and uh, used inaccurate information. Uh, in fact, she speculated uh, about what happened to them uh, taking information from uh, uh, probably the Interrupted Journey, the book that was initially written about Betty's and Barney's case back in 1966. Yeah. But uh, she didn't even uh, use the information properly. She made multiple mistakes in all of that as well. Yeah, that, that's, I saw in the article on Accidental Awareness, I noticed that it looked like the author probably wasn't very familiar with the many, many abduction case reports out there. And it didn't seem like that the author did any research and just had a, a point of view that said, well, this is medical in nature and that's how I'm going to run with this. Well, it's, it's yeah. amazing how how ignorant, ignor- I hate using the word ignorant, but how, how just um, short-sighted and um, I can't, I'm trying to think of good words instead of using the word ignorant because I think that's a stupid word, ironically. And um, it, it's it's very strange how scientists can sometimes not look at all the facts, especially if it's something that, that bolsters a viewpoint that is, say, against someone who has had an abduction experience, which they find no reason for it, it to not be false, even if there's, like, physical altercations or, or things like that, whether there's, like, physical scars somebody does receive from having an, an abduction experience, they're just like, oh, well, it's just because of surgery and stuff. It's like, that doesn't, that just, it just makes no sense to me how, how that happens. And it doesn't make yeah. any sense to me either. Um, obviously, they were simply trying to debunk alien abductions by pulling this out of the air, uh, many, many experiencers have never undergone anesthesia. Yeah, actually, that, that was what I was, I was going to ask. If if you know anybody yeah. who who has not had gone under anesthesia or had surgery um, that has had uh, abduction experiences. Yes, absolutely, with evidence as well. And you know, evidence is a big piece of this. Um, in this speculative arg- article, uh, there was no discussion of any evidence for alien abduction. They were just uh, attempting to assign another explanation to to all of the others, such as sleep paralysis or hypnagogic hallucinations or um, birth trauma or, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, number of explanations have been pulled out over the past uh, 30 years or so. Sometimes the explanations uh, that are, are come up with to debunk end up sounding more crazy than what actually happened. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Indeed. Indeed. And, you know, Kathy and, and Ben, one of the things that I think is important here, too, uh, is that when people have an experience, um, they don't really have a whole lot uh, to show for it initially unless they do have some kind of trace evidence or body evidence or some type of uh, physical change that they can point to, mm. um, and for me, um, you know, I've had uh, an incident where I felt like something like that happened, but what I saw had nothing to do or didn't look like anything related to what this paper was trying to purport in terms of a, uh, you know, confusion with doctors or what have you. This was nothing like that in my view, and uh, so I don't understand how they made that leap to think that these this very different type of imagery that was something that, that people who are abducted remember uh, is still the same to them as an operating room theater with doctors around. Um, I think they're just they're, they're just sort of extrapolating from the place where you're sitting on a table and someone leans over you. I mean, that's as close as it gets. All the other things that happen have nothing to do with surgery. Absolutely, and and. Uh... The individuals who do wake up during, you know, with anesthesia would get a glimpse of the surgical team. So 
you know, perhaps they're wearing special glasses. Perhaps they, you know, they have on their surgical masks and their hats, and that's what mm. they're observing. But uh, this writer speculates that uh, they're actually hallucinating bug-eyed greenish humanoids uh, doing invasive well, procedures on them. Well, I don't know where the greenish comes from. <laughs> I don't I either. That certainly, certainly wasn't what Betty and Barney described. Right. They described was... bug-eyed aliens. The eyes I was just were... going to say that, yes. You know, the, the eyes were slightly larger than, than human eyes, and, and they were gray, and they were not green. Right. I think the, the, the person writing that article was probably trying to make some type of a mental association for the reader with the green drapes that they use for sterile fields uh, in, the, in the operating room. Oh, okay. And, and so, you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I, so, I see what you're saying. Is there any evidence of peer review on this article? Do we know? Uh, I have seen no evidence of peer review. It appeared in Scientific American. Uh, I went online today and to look at the comments, and I did not see any positive comments about <laughs> the article. Really? I was, I was just going to ask what the larger community felt as a whole, so I guess that sort of makes <laughs> that that answers that, I guess. Well, I, I think part of the problem, though, is that as time moves forward, Kathy, one of the things that we're going to see, because you know my background in exoplanets, and, and as we move forward in our science and we mature in that science, we see that the prospect of alien beings coming to this planet and participating in some way with our evolution or in our, in our world is actually not so much science fiction anymore. So I think the whole abduction experience and the stigma that's sometimes associated with it and papers like this which come out, I don't know. I tend to think that that's actually going to start to, um, you know, have minimal impact over time as the reality of the possibilities starts to really hit home, especially in the media. No, I, I agree with that. But you know, let's let's move on a little bit because you you are indeed the expert here, Kathy. So, have you noticed any um, any ge geographical trends, social or ethnic trends uh, that have been in abduction cases? Not really. No, it seems to be occurring all around the world. Uh, people from different areas report uh, slightly different uh, ET forms. There are more, for example, short, hairy figures observed in South America, I believe, you know, at least from the report, than there are in the United States. But occasionally someone in the United States reports a short, hairy figure as well. Uh, the predominant uh, type of ET that's reported is uh, actually uh, the gray type, and, and there isn't just one gray type. There appears to be several uh, races of grays that are, are visiting the Earth. Um, in terms of uh, educational background, uh, it uh, it spans uh, across educational levels, economic levels, religions. Um, even in indigenous cultures, there are stories of this type of contact, but it is interpreted as God's visiting, for example. Mm. Um, sure. So uh, many yeah. explanations for what appears to be the same type of experience. Uh, some people have negative experiences, some have positive, um, and, and it seems to depend upon uh, the type of experience uh, examination or experience that they have when they are taken to this alien environment. So what are what are the, the types of experiences people have? Well, it arranges it ranges from um, a very positive kind of interaction with um, individuals who uh, have all of the characteristics of human beings but might be telepathic. Uh, might seem like humans only much more highly advanced and might say that they are uh, from the future visiting the the individuals that they're with to uh, and let's move on to the grays that's the the most prominent and most prevalent type of ET that uh, people report 
there seem to be two groups of grays. There's a taller type who is anywhere from around five to six feet tall, and then there are is a shorter group who work together. And those shorter uh, ETs who are grays tend to be about three and a half to four and a half, five feet tall. Generally, about four and a half is the tallest. Um, the the taller grays are generally reported as possibly being uh, sentient beings. They seem to have uh, a wider range of emotions than what was reported 30 years ago. Um, they tend to be uh, doctors, educators, maybe um, uh, scientists who interact with the human being that they're in contact with. They often perform uh, medical procedures on the craft. They might do tests. They would impart information and warnings about uh, human behavior to the people on the craft. The smaller grays that they're working with tend to be assistants and guards. Uh, they move generally only when they're instructed to do so. Uh, they appear not to be as intelligent as the taller ones. And uh, what happens is that sometimes they dress people in the wrong clothing or they put the clothing on backwards or inside out. Um, and uh, they tend not to have the emotional range that the taller ones have. It causes me and other people to speculate that they're actually either robotic or they're biomechanical in nature, sort of androids. Then we get to then we get to another group, and that group has been reported to me many times, uh, and an insectoid group. They're sometimes referred to as praying mantises, and uh, they have a different body type. They tend to uh, perhaps have an exoskeleton. Uh, they have uh, eyes that uh, tend to be vertical, uh, a mouth which would, is very, very low uh, toward the chin, uh, of course, hairless again, uh, very, very intense in their telepathic communication, and frightening but not harmful. Um, you know, the... Next, uh, let's get to uh, a reptilian group because that's an, another group that tends to be reported uh, quite often. Um, and that reptilian group uh, tends to have many of the characteristics that we think of in reptiles. So it, a, a lower range of functioning, but somehow uh, might have developed technology. And this is the most perplexing me. Uh, I do receive reports of very kind, intelligent, benevolent reptilians, but also reports of uh, malevolent type reptilians. So that's sort of divided and uh, there, it leaves a lot of questions about that group. I don't think that we have a very good understanding of that particular group. Certainly I don't. And then we have uh, several other types that are reported occasionally, such as the small, hairy type of, of dwarf um, and a Bigfoot type of, uh, of ape man uh, is reported sometimes in conjunction with a landed craft. Huh, that's actually, that's, that's actually very interesting because, um, um, as you know, uh, there's my dad and I have been working on um, uh, you and Denise Stoner as well that have been looking into uh, possible connections between UFO poltergeist activities uh, as well as as other other cryptids in in that sort of mold. So what's your your thoughts on that now? You know I'm still <laughs> I'm still in the thinking process. I haven't developed really good thoughts about um, the, the cryptids in be, being in conjunction with the craft. I only know that it has been reported repeatedly over the past 50 years, hmm. maybe 40 years. 
Um, and, you know, so I don't know what the association is. It's very highly speculative to me. Um, in terms of uh, whether or not these uh, people who are interacting, these non-humans that are interacting with humans, are actually extraterrestrial or interdimensional or extra-dimensional, intradimensional, um, you know, such as coming through or breaking through the veil between different dimensions. Uh, I'm, I'm still in the process of examining that as well. It does seem to me, uh, and I'm pretty convinced, that, that some of this is extraterrestrial. They're, the ETs are seen in association uh, with landed craft or with a uh, craft that is hovering above human beings. Uh, it, they are clearly occupied by non-humans. Uh, they seem to be highly technologically advanced, uh, telepathic, uh, often benevolent, but sometimes not. Uh, and they leave physical trace evidence. They're seen by multiple witnesses. The, the experiencer is awake when this occurs. Uh, there's a lot going on here that gives me the impression that this is physically real and it is extraterrestrial. But also, in my studies, I have found others who believe that they are having uh, interaction with extraterrestrial beings yet they have not seen the, the craft externally. They've not had a close encounter when they've been in, in an external environment, such as outdoors. Uh, this, these experiences occur when these individuals are sleeping. So they might be in their bedrooms. And a lot of times they will. Uh, these individuals who I think are probably having contact with uh, a, an interdimensional type of being uh, is having this contact repeatedly uh, every night of the week or several nights of the week. There are scratches on these individuals' bodies. Uh, they are extremely fearful. They're being taunted. That's not extraterrestrial behavior. Uh, that I am familiar with, and I have been studying this uh, pretty intensively for many, many years. So I think that there's something else going on here, and uh, individuals are interpreting it as being extraterrestrial when it is not. Hmm. Well, on that can I, note... Can I ask a question? Oh, well, we're going to question? take a break real quick, and then we'll get to your question. All right. Cool, so you're listening to uh, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, except uh, this evening it is Ben Eno and Mark D'Antonio on with our lovely guest, uh, Kathy Martin. So we'll be back in just a bit right after these. This is WON 1240 Winsocket Radio. Hey everybody, this is the Moose Man. Check out the groove line for the best blues, rock, funk, classic 50s, and the Beatles every single week. Tune in Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. That's the groove line right here on Owen. Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, except Paul is absent this evening, so it is I and Mark D'Antonio. I wanted to take a little uh, little second to mention the charities my dad and I have adopted, and that includes USA Cares and Canadian Veterans Advocacy, also Youth Mentoring Connection, YMC, in uh, Los Angeles, led by the amazing Tony LeRae, doing amazing things for at-risk youth using ancient wisdom. And this isn't uh, like new-agey stuff. It's good, down-to-earth advice that is great for the youth, and they're doing amazing things out there in Los Angeles. That's www.youthmentoring.com. Dot org. Okay, so we'll get back to our guest, uh, Kathy Martin. And, uh, Mark, you had a question. Yeah, I did. You know, Kathy, you're sharing such incredible information here. And I had a, a question as to, in all your years of, of, this, of your expert research, I'm curious, do you have any idea yet what these different potential races or uh, extraterrestrial beings 
uh, have in mind? What is their agenda? Do you have any idea? They've given some information to uh, experiencers, and uh, the only reason I would repeat this information is because I've received it independently from several different individuals. But um, they do seem to be concerned about uh, human behavior. They're concerned that we have developed uh, technology that uh, could lead to our own destruction, and uh, they don't want to see this beautiful planet destroyed, nor do they want us to take our brand of friendship out into space. Uh, they have seen us uh, kill 200 million of our own kind during the 20th century in major and minor wars and as the result of those wars. Uh, they seem to be not very happy with what they're seeing. They're very concerned uh, that we might destroy ourselves, that we might go out, develop the technology to go out there and destroy others or exploit others. Uh, they, uh, they also say that they uh, are taking samples from humans because they're concerned about changes in our DNA, and that's what they, are, they say that they are looking for. Um, that might be caused environmentally, uh, that could lead to the extinction of uh, our species. And so that is another concern that they have voiced. No, well, that's interesting. No, it, it's, ahead, it's fascinating. Um, well, with all this being said, I'm, I'm, I'm still... I'm so unconvinced at this this whole surgery anesthesia thing. The reason why I, I asked you all those things was, you know, comparing that to the scientific model that was proposed just doesn't it doesn't it, it's just unfathomable to think that that's that 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 that's true. With, with all these different with all these different types, all the research you've done over the past fifteen years and longer, and everything um, that has been experienced by everyone you know, it's it's ridiculous to say, well, it's just anesthesia. Especially with all all this this study that has definitely gone into this, it's it's um it's little it's just I think it's just dumb speculation in my opinion, but you're you definitely know what you're talking about, Kathy, and I I've I've come to realize that, and I know I've I've been rather short short with you in in the past in the past, so I would like to formally apologize for that. <laughs> you're welcome. So on that note, um. What are the latest abduction cases uh, that you have encountered? Oh, uh, I have not encountered cases uh, recently where people have been driving along and were abducted from their vehicle. And I would love to to have more of that happen. So, ETs, if you're listening, <laughs> we, you know this is what don't any, say that. They'll blame <laughs> you for it if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> this is what any uh, researcher or uh, abduction investigator uh, really desires. This, you know, that and the evidence, the kind of evidence that Betty and Barney Hill had and Travis Walton had and uh, so many others. Uh, we haven't had a lot of that recently because um, we have uh, individuals who are contacting MUFON on a regular basis. I received uh, 35 last week alone. Uh, people go onto MUFON's website. Uh, you can go to... Uh, the, the little drop-down menu, it says research, and then you click on that and go down to experience or questionnaire. Take the questionnaire uh, if you believe that you're an experiencer, and uh, you can see what you have in common with others. It's sort of a screening so that uh, in, if you believe that you might have been abducted and you'd like to talk to somebody about it, you can talk to a member of MUFON's abduction research team, and we'll give you some guidance. Uh, it may be the first time you've ever been able to talk to a non-judgmental listener, and you know people find that very helpful, just to get it off their shoulders. Yeah, you know, sometimes uh, you, talking about it is is more helpful than anything. Yeah. Yes. And then, uh, you know, sometimes the person might want to file a formal report with MUFON, 
if there is some evidence and conscious recall there, something that can be investigated, that it's more than just a dream. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if somebody's looking for support, we, uh, we can refer them to uh, support groups. If uh, somebody's looking for hypnosis, we can refer them to uh, other websites uh, where there is a list of uh, approved hypnotherapists, that sort of thing. So uh, we do a lot of different things uh, for individuals who believe that they've been abducted because the most difficult thing to do is to face this entirely alone to uh, not have anyone who will listen to you in a non-judgmental way. So many people have been ridiculed, and and it's really terrible that this continues to go on, given the evidence that this is real. And certainly, some people, it's not real for some people. There are many explanations for this, but it is certainly real for a number of individuals who have evidence that it is real. Hmm. So on that note, can you tell us about um, the Foundation for Extraterrestrial uh, Encounters? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, that is a new uh, organization. It was founded by Ray Hernandez, uh, who is a lawyer and an experiencer. And uh, he has put together uh, a, a group of theoretical physicists uh, Edgar Mitchell is one. Dr. Rudy Shield is another. Uh, he just recently retired from the uh, Harvard-Smithsonian Astrophysics Laboratory. And uh, a number of different uh, theoretical physicists who are working uh, in uh, cooperation with one another to attempt to solve uh, the a lot of the scientific questions around ET encounters. You know, how do they get here from there, for example? Um, why do we have these strong electromagnetic fields uh, in areas where they have been? Uh, and that sort of thing. How, how do they pass through walls? Uh, how scientifically is that possible? That sort of thing. We also have a team of experiencers, um, researchers, and social scientists, uh, some with doctorates, who are working, and we have posted a questionnaire on uh, Free's website, which is experiencer.co. So if you believe you're an experiencer, you can go uh, to experiencer.co and take the questionnaire. Um, and this will give free uh, an idea of the commonalities that experiencers share. Now, I did this type of study with Denise Stoner in 2012, and uh, coming up in a couple of months, I'm hoping MUFON is going to have uh, one posted on its website, too, as another research project. Uh, because in social science, it's important to repeat uh, these scientific studies because social science is the most difficult to get uh, consistent uh, statistics on. It's the same in medical science as the form of social science. Huh. Oh, what do you know? Uh, in terms of patients. Yes, yes, indeed. Social science is, is indeed a fascinating thing as well. So before we burn up the hour, why don't you uh, tell us about uh, what you're working on and your website and all that good stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've been very busy with MUFON as the director of abduction research, so I'm focusing a lot on that. Uh, I <coughs> am also beginning uh, doing research for a new book, so I'm hoping within a couple of years... Uh, We'll have another book on the market, uh, and uh, it, this one is requiring a great deal of research. I've been uh, going to archival collections and to do my research there. I'm not taking information from something that somebody else. You want to give us a little bit of a teaser on uh, on uh, what what that is? I would spend uh, a lot of time 
in libraries doing this kind of research. It's really fascinating to go through the papers and letters of uh, individuals who came before me. So what's the book about? Uh, it's I can't. My my publisher won't let me uh, tell the public, ah, you know, okay. specifically what it's about. Um, but it's going to be something different than what I did and captured, or science was wrong, or the alien abduction files. So it's going to be different from those. Hmm. We're going to have you back then. Can't for wait. That. Can't wait to see. Yeah. <laughs> so any further questions, Mark? I, I was just curious, um, you know, overall, if, if, you know, Kathy, you think this is a uh, benevolent visitation or not, you know, overall, and, and, and when you take it on the whole. Taken on a whole, uh, my impression is that it is benevolent. Now, mm. I have been, I've, of course, told by some that they feel that whoever has contacted them is not uh, benevolent, that they're malevolent. But I'm not sure that those malevolent entities have come here from space. That's that's another part of this mystery that I'm working on and attempting to solve. And, you know, Ben and his father, Paul, have really helped me a lot in understanding uh, the paranormal aspects of some of this because, um, you know, Extraterrestrial abduction is, uh, of course, paranormal because it's unexplained, uh, and it's unexplained by our current scientific laws uh, in in some in some ways. But uh, there are other types of experiences, particularly with these malevolent beings, who I wonder are if they are actually malevolent beings coming through. Uh, the this, uh, interdimensional veil and interacting with humans and scaring them to death as well. You know, there are there are a few reports of uh, individuals, humans that uh, have been found dead, and speculation that they might have been mutilated um, in, in the way that cattle mutilations take place. Uh, I hope that this isn't true. Um, I yeah, me too. That's I terrifying. Have not, <laughs> yes, it is terrifying. I have not done a lot of research on this. I did some research on it online. There was one case down in South America, but when I looked at the body, I could see uh, the, the ligature marks around the mm. the arms and and the legs. That looks like human behavior to me. It, and I wouldn't be surprised if this uh, was part of uh, a drug deal gone wrong, or or someone oh. who was was tortured and murdered. Uh, you know, because yeah, I hate to say it, but that's almost a better outcome, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. We have some control over getting control back over things like that, but you know, alien and, abduction. Mm. And we know that. Uh, they've been here a long time. If they wanted to harm us, they could have. If mm. they wanted to invade us, they could have. Uh, they haven't done it so far. And then you have to ask the question, if this is a malevolent uh, a group coming to Earth, uh, how were they able to uh, not destroy themselves and their planet? Well, you might say, well, they destroyed the rest of the planet and they're the only ones that survive and they're going around destroying other planets. I don't know. I don't know. It seems to be a stretch of the imagination to me, um, my imagination, to to be able to, to think in those terms, uh, particularly since uh, the interaction that I've heard about uh, the technology, everything that they seem to possess uh, is being used for good purposes or being used uh, for neutral purposes. Hmm. No, that, that, that's a good point. So I guess that sort of brings us to uh, another another point, which is, um, well, question I should say. So how has abduction research changed since the, the 1960s? 
Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's a, that's a, it's changed radically since the 1960s. When Betty and Barney Hill were abducted in 1961, uh, Walter Webb, uh, the the astronomer from Hayden Planetarium, member of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, uh, went to their home and interviewed them. Uh, they were the first case. Uh, he took notes with uh, pen and paper. He didn't have a tape recorder. We always use tape recorders today uh, when we're taking testimony. Uh, he didn't look for physical evidence when he was there. Uh, today, we have all sorts of gauges and, and you know, scientists who can uh, examine physical evidence that we are able to collect if it's good physical evidence. Uh, and uh, we simply didn't have that. We didn't know what to look for back then. But uh, over the past 50-some-odd years, we have uh, come to the point where we have a pretty good understanding of what is going on. So we today measure electromagnetic fields, magnetic fields, electrical fields. Um, we look for implants. And, of course, the late Dr. Roger Lear uh, removed some implants from um, some patients of his who, uh, and these implants had highly unusual characteristics. Some of them were comprised of meteoric material and rare earths. Uh, they seemed to uh, be uh, nanotechnology beyond our current capability. Um, and uh, very, very fascinating, the connected to nerve endings uh, when Dr. Lear or another surgeon would attempt to remove them. It's almost as if they had an intelligence of their own and they would actually travel up the person's arm or leg if that's where they were um, in order to attempt to escape, escape the surgeon's scalpel. Um, some have emitted radio frequencies. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, we also uh, look for uh, things like what happened to my Aunt Betty Hill's dress. Her dress was torn in several locations when she arrived home after the abduction. Uh, she took her dress off, put it in the closet, knowing it had to be repaired. Next time she took it out, it was covered with a pink powdery substance. Uh, so... Uh, if that happened to her and it's undergone laboratory analysis in five different laboratories, no one has ever been able to identify uh, positively what that pink powder was. Um, I, in one of the induction cases that I investigated, I said to uh, the, the experiencer who had arrived home uh, with missing time, with a T-shirt that was on inside out and backwards now and had been on properly before, said, just uh, take that T-shirt and, and put it in a brown paper bag and put it in a dark, warm closet. I didn't want it outside in the snow or anything um, for, uh, for a couple of weeks and then uh, take it out and let me know if, any, if you notice any changes. I didn't say what the changes might be. So he took it out, and, and there was a pink substance on the T-shirt, coating the T-shirt. Wow. So I said, well, you know, pack that up, and, and we'll get it off to a laboratory. Uh, so we find that type of thing. We're, we're really looking for evidence here. And another form of evidence is eyewitness testimony. And the, the more witnesses, the better. Another form of evidence is uh, if you have more than one person who was taken at the same time uh, and they have amnesia, if they are hypnotized separately and uh, their hypnosis statements, uh, statements under hypnosis, are placed under comparative analysis, such as what I did with Betty and Barney. And Walter Webb, that original investigator, did on a case that he had in the late 60s. We find that um, the independent statements made by these individuals are correlating. They're, 
it's, uh, you know, from their own perspective in the way that they would normally describe things, but they're talking about the same types of things, the same interior, the same position of this group of ETs, different ones standing in different locations, um, things that people couldn't possibly make up and have correct. That's fascinating. That's just, I've, I've, I must say I really don't know much about implants myself. Or that pink powder, I've never heard of that in my life. That's a... yeah, me either. That's interesting. Yes, I found it very interesting, and I'm hoping to collect more from experiencers who um, have had something happen to their clothing. Has has there been any sort of analysis done to it? You said there were no really results uh, of it, but has there been any analysis as of late? Um, that T-shirt is undergoing analysis uh, right now, and uh, I don't have the results as of yet. I can't even. Uh, it's that's that's amazing. I'm so many thoughts are swimming in my head about what that actually could be. Uh, maybe not even. Well, yeah. yeah. Not me. Uh, I actually like. Uh, I, I'm sorry. That's no, all good. <laughs> Please. Uh, I was just saying. Uh, I found it interesting that you know, Kathy, you repeated, uh, well, you actually created that that pink powder um, through a little experiment, which you know, to me uh, is uh, that that's very meaningful. Yes, I, I'm an experimenter, so um, I think of a lot of, of different things that we might possibly do in order to obtain evidence. So where do you think the, the, uh, the direction of abduction research is going to be going in the next 10 years? It seems like there's some sort of like amazing thing that happens like every other case, so I can't even imagine what's going to happen over the next 10 years. Yes, and, you know, I can't, certainly can't predict what's going to happen in the next 10 years. It depends upon um, the modus operandi of the extraterrestrials themselves. Mm. Will, they, will they give us evidence? Uh, and if so, what kind of evidence will they give us? Um, you know, it's, and uh, if we get that, then we can go on from that to devise new tests uh, to devise new protocols in order to obtain the, the and analyze the evidence. But, you know, uh, it could be that they will give us far less evidence than they are at the present time as well. We don't know. Hmm, that's a good point. It's it's uh, it's very, very frugal field, especially for the, the modern uh, scientific paradigm. So do you believe there should be a, a shift in the modern scientific paradigm if it seems to be not really yielding any results? But it seems to be yielding results. Uh, uh, forgive me for putting it that way. Um, I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. Because the, my, the modern scientific paradigm seems to not negate, but it seems kind of antiquated, especially when we're talking about things that aren't even of this earth. Uh, would you agree? Uh, I, I think that it's very good. Uh, for certain types of investigation, the investigation of physical evidence. So, mm. you know, I think we we don't need to throw uh, out the baby with the bathwater. We need to keep that. But I think that it would be good to expand upon that, to incorporate uh, other things that appear to be occurring. Um, and uh, right now we only have theoretical physics uh, in order to, you know, quantum physics in order to explain some of those things. But, uh, you know, it, it slips over into the paranormal a little bit, and the paranormal is fine as long as we keep it uh, in a kind of a folklorish sense, and ETs are not, are, and uh, UFOs are not scientifically acceptable for political reasons, it seems. So, but anyway, <laughs> um, you know, to stop uh, raving about that, uh, I I do believe that we do need to develop new scientific paradigms to help us to explain some of this. Do you think that that paranormal sense you mentioned, like viewing UFOs in a paranormal sense or viewing extraterrestrials in a paranormal sense, is what gives us that stigma that of of people who investigate, people who experience these these sort of things uh, and it's progressed in the mainstream media. Do you, do you think that that's like the big, the big thing that's, that's sort of preventing this from becoming more um, 
I'm trying to think of a good word for it. Not taken seriously, but more, um, I guess taken seriously. There we go. We'll go with that. <laughs> well, that has a little bit to do with it. Um, uh, many people have discovered this. Uh, Jacques Vallée, uh, Alan Hynek were well aware of the paranormal aspects of uh, E.T. encounters. Uh, but we sort of swept it under the rug for many, many years and, and not admitted that it was discovered uh, because we thought that it would make it even harder to, uh, to obtain interest from the scientific community. But here we are, what, 50-plus years into, uh, maybe 60 years into this investigation, and we still have not been able to garner a lot of interest from the mainstream scientific community. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be working. And I think that the reason for that is that it's politically incorrect. And, and I think that the reason for that is that uh, when you think about, uh, from a military point of view, we're being visited by extraterrestrial invaders. That's the way they would be uh, viewed by the military. Mm. And uh, mm. the military mm. is not capable of defending uh, the Earth population against this kind of thing, particularly uh, if we don't know for certain if they're all benevolent. So uh, it can create a lot yeah. of problems socially, financially, politically, religiously. No, that's a good point. No, I, I agree with that. But on that happy note, Kathy, it was great having you on on the show this evening. We just burned up this hour, so just one more time, uh, tell us about what uh, tell us your website and maybe. Well, you're not going to talk about your upcoming book, but that you're working on it. So tell us about your website one more time. <laughs> yes. My website is Kathleen with a K dash Marden M A R D E N dot com. And you can purchase any of my uh, books there. They'll come autographed. All right, cool. Kathy, thanks for being on with us, and uh, maybe we will get back in touch when you're uh, almost done that book. Okay, it would be my pleasure. Indeed. Good talking to you. Goodbye. Goodbye. All right, Mark, take it away. Well, you know, you got to visit the show website at BehindTheParanormal.com where you can find nearly 600 free podcasts of these past shows from both ON1240 and the Eno's four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And you can find my dad's books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble Nook. Uh, but if you buy them directly at the BehindTheParanormal.com website, he will sign them for you and help keep all those podcasts free. Also on our websites, you'll find direct links to all those charities I mentioned earlier. So all that good stuff as well. Well, next Monday on December 15th here on ON1240 and ONWorldwide.com, Paul and Ben will welcome researcher Chris O'Brien for a look at the mystery of cattle mutilations. And we will leave you this evening with the quotable quote from Scottish musician uh, David Russell. The hardest thing in life is to know which bridge to cross and which to burn. I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Mark D'Antonio sitting in for Paul Eno. Thanks for joining us on this great cosmic journey. We'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.